Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. was 1906, the date December 24th, Christmas Eve, when Reginald Fessenden, an associate of Thomas Edison's, was experimenting with a microphone and a telegraph. As he was doing it, he started to notice that he was making some headway, that, that, that something was happening. And so he grabbed his microphone and he began to read the Christmas story. The very first thing to ever be heard over the radio waves was the story of the birth of Christ. He began in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I mean, can you imagine the shock if you're sitting at a telegraph machine used to it only making a clicking sound and all of a sudden a voice starts coming through declaring the birth of Messiah. Well, he didn't stop there, Fessenden. He, he actually, after reading the story of the birth of Christ, grabbed his violin and he played the very first song to ever be played over the radio waves. It was a song that you know, a song that I know. It was a, a Christmas carol. In fact, it's one of people's most favored Christmas carols. We love singing it this time of year. Oh, Holy Night. It was a song written by a French wine merchant in 1947, put to music by a Jewish composer. It was banned in Europe because its author went apostate, and it was adopted in the States by an abolitionist named John Sullivan Dwight, who loved the line, Chain shall he break, for the slave is our Brother. It was this song that was the first ever to be played over the radio waves. Listen to the first few lines. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. This is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A weary world rejoices. When I was listening to that song again this year, that, that was the line that stood out to me. Because I thought, man, if, if ever there were a year that we were weary, it's 2020. If ever there were a year where we needed a little extra jolt of joy, it is this year. I mean, 2020 has taught us a lot of things, actually. But one of the things it's taught us is that many of our pathways and pursuits of joy don't hold up under the crucible of pain. They just, they just let us down. And we've also learned once again that our circumstances are fickle at best. I mean, think of the last eight, nine, ten months, postponed weddings, Zoom, Zoom memorials, canceled graduations, a tenuous economy, 
chaotic schedules, trying to juggle life as best we can. At workplace consultant Jennifer Moss said it like this. She said, we are mourning the death of our previous lives. And I think in so many ways, she's right. This has been a year filled with no after no after no. But even in the midst of all of these no's, our desire for joy can't be ignored. It's a part of our very being. It's part of what it means to be human. We are people on a quest for joy. St. Augustine in the fourth century, he, he pressed on that reality, writing this, every man whatsoever his condition desires to be happy. And, and he's equating happiness and joy, and, and the scriptures do the exact same thing. They don't make any delineation between happiness and joy. They put them all in the same category. Happiness, joy, delight, gladness, pleasure. It's, it's all the same emotion, feeling in the scriptures. But, but the authors of our Declaration of Independence also grabbed onto this longing for happiness, this desire for joy. They even worked it into the very DNA of our great country. I mean, listen to what they wrote. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As I was studying that uh, declaration this week, I found out that there were about uh, roughly a few hundred people who sued the government after they released the Declaration of Independence because they weren't happy. And the government went, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, it, it's not our job to make you happy. It's our job to create a space where you're free to pursue happiness. I think we all know that we're responsible for our own joy for our own happiness. I mean, that's why in 2006, when Harvard University released a class on positive psychology about the pursuit of happiness, it was the most popular class they had ever had at the university. Still is, it still is. We are wired for joy. We're looking for it. I mean, you might summarize the human experience as a quest for joy. We need it like the air that we breathe, but in 2020, it feels a little bit like we are suffocating. But today, today, I want to teach you how in the midst of chaos to find true, deep, meaningful, and abiding joy. And I think it might be akin to the image of somebody sitting in front of a telegraph, tuning the dial to hear the music that's playing a weary, world rejoices. I want you to know that joy is possible. So let's go on a journey together to figure out how we can be joyful people. So if you have your Bible, will you open with me to Luke chapter 1? We're going to start in verse 39 today. And we're continuing our study, Comfort and Joy. And in this passage, in the Christmas narrative here, we're going to see the way that joy is both described and displayed. Look at it with me. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. 
Now, in those days, puts this right next to the passage that you could read right before this, where Mary receives the announcement that she's pregnant with the Messiah. She's a virgin, but she's pregnant, carrying the hope of the world. And so she travels to go see her, her relative, Elizabeth. That journey would have been roughly 70 to 90 miles, depending on which way Mary traveled. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember, this is John the Baptist. We talked about him last week. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So the Spirit enables Elizabeth to discern the significance of her baby's movement in her her body and to give voice to the arrival of the Messiah. In many ways, she does what John, her son, will eventually do. For behold, verse 44, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I think this last phrase, blessed are you, Mary, because you believed, is both an affirmation of her faith and an indictment of her husband's doubt. When when Zechariah was told that his wife would become pregnant, he doubted. But Mary responded with faith. And it says, and John leaped for joy, even in the womb. Joy could be defined as a deep sense of well-being. But the Greek word that's translated joy here in this text in verse 44 is the word agaliasis. And it literally means ecstatic delight or wild joy. I mean, I love that picture of John in utero with ecstatic delight or wild joy. I mean, he gets a little bit unruly, uh, a little bit wild, even in the womb. So just a quick side note, this passage is one of the reasons that Christians have always affirmed that life begins in the womb. That preborn babies have value and matter deeply to God. But here's a question that I want us to wrestle with today. What can John in utero teach us about joy? See, more than you might initially think, I think John's going to teach us what joy is, how to find joy, and what to do when we do find it. See, John isn't even born yet, and he's already living out his calling as a forerunner as someone preparing the way for the Lord. We're told two times in this text alone that he leaps for joy. And he leaps for joy when he's brought into the presence of Jesus. I mean, last week we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, that he, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And in writing that, Luke was setting up this moment right here. That when he encountered Jesus, even in utero, when Jesus was in utero also, he leaps for joy. That somehow the spirit inside of John allowed him to sense the presence of Jesus. And it was Jesus' presence that caused John to rise up with great joy. Now, what has Jesus done at this point? Well, Uh, nothing in his human life yet. I mean, he's not even 
born. There was a promise of what Jesus would eventually do. But catch this, it was Jesus' mere presence that caused John to leap for joy. And I don't think we're all that unlike John. I mean, John didn't get to see Jesus at this point with his physical eyes. He had to sense him through the power of the Spirit living inside of him. I mean, that's the exact same thing that we have to do today, isn't it? We don't get to see Jesus with our physical eyes, but we get to sense him through the power of the Spirit that lives within us. And when we sense him, we too will leap for joy. Because, will you write this down? Will you write this down? Joy is a Spirit-empowered response to experiencing the presence of Jesus. Joy is a Spirit-empowered response to experiencing the presence of Jesus. Have you noticed that when you're in somebody's presence, they, they start to just rub off on you, their attitude, their beliefs, some of the things that they say? I, I had the chance last week to be around a pastor that I really, really respect. Just a man of deep and bold faith. And I just started to sense his faith and his boldness just rubbing off on me a little bit. So the question is, what rubs off on us from God when we're around God? What is, what is God like? Well, God is the most joyful, happy being in the entire universe. And so when we're in God's presence, we should experience joy. That's what the psalmist told us in Psalm 16, verse 11. He wrote this, You make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand, pleasure forevermore. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? See, if we are designed for joy and we seek joy, the ultimate goal of our life should be to live in the presence of God because that's where true joy resides. Now, now, in the New Testament, we see this evolve even further when we get the knowledge that it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to experience God's presence. Listen to the way, and so therefore God's joy. Listen to the way Paul writes it in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then in the book of Acts, Luke wrote, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So let me say this as clearly as I can for us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And one of the Holy Spirit's main goals is to reveal to you Jesus. And when you sense the presence of Jesus with you, your heart begins to explode with joy. I mean, how great is that? But you may be wondering, okay, Ryan, why does the presence of Jesus cause joy? Why is that the result of being in the presence of Jesus? Why was it the result for John and why might it be the result for us today too? And I don't think you have to look any further than just what Jesus' name means in order to realize why there's immense joy when we're in his presence. See, Matthew wrote about what his name means, and here's what he said in verse 21 of the first chapter of his gospel. Recording the angel's words, he wrote, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeshua. It's etymologically related to the name Joshua. Joshua. But the name Jesus means God is Savior. God is our Savior. See, the angel claimed that Jesus is the one who will and now has saved us from our sins. Which means, which means, I mean, catch this, don't miss this, that when we're in the presence of Jesus, there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is only perfect love and absolute forgiveness. Please hear me on this. If the voice that you hear when you're in the presence of Jesus is one of condemnation, I want to assure you, you're not actually in the presence of Jesus because his name means God is offering you forgiveness, calling you to himself. Yes, the soul felt its worth and that's what causes joy to rise up when we're in the presence of Jesus. I'm proposing to you today that the experience of joy is possible at all times because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now that joy can be hard to access sometimes, I get it. But that's why we're gonna dive in right now to figure out how in the world do we access this joy? How can his joy become ours even in a year like 2020? Let's look at this passage a little bit deeper. So as we dive deeper into this passage, there's four things that I'd like us to see, and they all point us in movements towards joy. Here's the first thing. As you read through the first portion of this text, you see that Mary goes in haste or she hurries to go to Elizabeth's house. And then when she arrives, Elizabeth hears, and so does John, hears the sound of this greeting. So in many ways, you have this traveling with haste that's painted in contrast to to hearing and to pausing long enough to hear. And see, there's something about this hearing that evokes joy both in John and I'd also argue in Elizabeth as well. And so here's the movement that I'd like you to write down. It's one from hurry to awareness. Hurry to awareness. See, the question is not, is Jesus present with us? The question is, do we have eyes to see him? After all, one of his other names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The truth of the matter is, friends, you don't have to go anywhere to find God. The Christmas story is about a God who has come to find you. And John models in the womb what we are called to practice in the world, which is sensing and noticing the presence of Jesus. I'll never forget, I was on my morning run on the Highline Canal Trail, which was right at the end of our street in Colorado. And I was just cruising along, I had my earbuds in, was in my own world, just sort of worshiping and and enjoying the morning. And someone was on the trail and they just, they waved me down. So I, I took an earbud out and said, you know, what's going on? And they whispered to me, turn around. And I turned around slowly and I saw in this little clearing, a massive buck, 
I mean, I don't know how many points it was, but it was a huge deer just right there. And I had run right past it. And I think experiencing the presence of God is the, the same experience. The, the, the Spirit wants to wave us down and go, don't miss him. Jesus is present with us in this moment. But all of these moments of, of divine love and goodness that bring about joy, they must be noticed. I love the way that John Mark Comer wrote it. He said this, hurry and joy are incompatible. Hurry and joy are incompatible. Like they cannot coexist together. Either you can experience hurry or you can experience joy, but you cannot experience both at the same time. So even in a world that's filled with heartbreak, there are glimmers of joy all around us. A child's laugh, a flower blooming, a great song, a beautiful poem, a piece of art, a transformed life. I mean, there's a reason that people talk about walking with God, not running with God. I, I, I love the way that the Japanese theologian Kasuke Kiyama put it in his book, Three Mile an Hour God, which is roughly the pace at which people walk. Here's what he said. The more present we are to the now, the more grateful we are for what is, and the more we tap in to joy. See, he puts his finger on something that's absolutely true. You cannot experience a joy from the past and you cannot bank on joy in the future. It, joy is experienced in the present, in the now. And what if this COVID Christmas, you just took this as an opportunity when things are different and not what you'd choose to slow down, to slow down and to practice the presence of God, to be in nature, to see beauty, to be more diligent in prayer, to put on a great Christmas album and just ask Jesus to meet with you. There's a ton of ways you can push into this, but hurry must be replaced with awareness. Here's the second thing that we see. Something happens when Mary and Elizabeth get into the same place, the same space that didn't happen when Elizabeth was alone. See, see, Mary and Elizabeth show us that there's a compounding joy when multiple people filled with the Spirit gather in the same place together. It's one of the reasons that gathering for worship is such a powerful practice. It's so encouraging to be around other people who have the Spirit of God living inside of them also to be pointed to the goodness and the joy of our God. But there's something else sort of beneath the surface that's going on in this text as well. Think of how easy it would have been for Elizabeth to be a little bit envious. I mean, she's just received this miracle. She finds out she's pregnant after years, maybe even decades of praying. And then there's this even greater miracle that walks in the door. Mary is pregnant as a virgin and she's carrying not just the forerunner to the Messiah, but the Messiah himself. But I love Elizabeth's response. Blessed are you among women. This is verse 42. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's going, I'm not envious. I am just going to bask in the glory of what God is doing through you. It's the same thing that her son John would do later on when he said, recorded in John chapter 3 verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Friends, this is the movement of joy. 
One from competition to connection. Will you write that down? Competition to connection. And competition is so baked into our cultural narrative that it can be hard at times for us to find joy (laughs) unless we're on top. By way of contrast, true joy comes when we lift others up rather than when we stand on top of them. There's something better than being on top. It's being together. There's this cultural anthropologist that was studying a tribe in remote Africa. He'd been working with them for a while and it came time for him to leave and he wanted to give the kids in the village a present. And so he got a number of fruits and different candies and put them in a basket and then went and he he put them under a tree. He then gathered all the kids in this community and gathered them together and drew a line in the dirt, had all the kids stand behind the line. And then he told him this, when I tell you to start, run to the tree and whoever gets there first will win the basket of fruit and candy. And so he said, one, two, three, go. And much to his surprise, the kids didn't just charge off running. They linked arms (laughs) and they ran to the tree together. And then they sat and together around the basket enjoyed the treat as a group. I mean, the, the anthropologist was shocked. He asked why they would go together instead of just one of them going to win it for themselves. And here's the way a young girl responded. She said, how can one of us be happy if the others are sad? What a picture of joy. If we can't come alongside others and genuinely be happy for their success, we'll never really experience joy, ever. On the other hand, when we rejoice with those who rejoice, we will never lack reason for joy. Elizabeth models this for us, and John lives this out. The communion of the saints is so valuable, and they lift each other up and draw out the good of what God is doing in their life. You can do this too. You can, do the, you can move from competition to connection. Could be as easy as a text message you send to somebody, a note of encouragement that you send, an invite that you extend. Even in this COVID season, you could invite somebody, come with me to our Christmas Eve services. You could choose a number of different ways to engage with the people around you. But find ways, friends, find ways to celebrate the success of others. There's something better than being on top and it's being together. Elizabeth and Mary model this for us. Listen again to the way that John responded to Jesus, verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So what's the opposite of ecstatic delight, which is what John experienced? I think it's cynicism. I I think it's cynicism. See, cynicism points out all the ways something could go wrong. It points out all the ways that something is, is stupid or a waste of time. See, cynicism holds things at a distance. It analyzes, it mocks, and it notes all the possibilities for failure. Anybody else have an inner cynic? I do at times. I have an ability to just see things that are wrong. 
I have the ability to lump people into categories. That's what cynics do, right? Oh, everybody's just out for themselves, right? Everybody's bowing down to the government. Nobody's taking COVID seriously. The economy's never gonna bounce back. I mean, that's the voice of a cynic. Now, by way of contrast, we see John the Baptist who leaps wild, ecstatic joy. It reminds me of David dancing before the ark of God, just getting a little bit undignified. It reminds me of the father throwing a party when his son comes home in the story of the prodigal son. See, when the spirit stirs joy, it's only realized when it's responded to. I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it when he said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Oh, that is so good. That is so good because he's pointing out the movement. It's a movement from cynicism to celebration, from cynicism to celebration. And I would argue that sometimes we have to express in our body first what we long to feel in our heart. Sometimes it's an expression of our body before it's a feeling in our heart. See, I don't think you can sit on your hands and experience joy. I don't think you can fold your arms and experience deep, meaningful, and abiding joy. Now, here's, here's the truth, man. This, it doesn't mean that we ignore all of the things going on in our world. It doesn't mean that we ignore the pain and the suffering. It just simply means that we refuse to let them completely define our reality. I think one of the marks of Christian maturity is being able to hold the tension of sorrow and joy and to throw a party even when things aren't perfect. So two ways you might practice this during the Advent season. Number one, you can choose gratitude. Gratitude is the predecessor to celebration. Choose to be grateful. Maybe make a list of three things in the morning, every morning. Just get up and write three things down that you are thankful for. Another thing you could do, intentionally delight. Like make a great meal and eat it slow and just enjoy the living daylights out of it. God wants you to taste and see that he is good. But whatever you do, fight the inner cynic in your mind, in your heart, in the world, and practice celebration. It's what John does in utero. There's one final thing about this text that draws us to the way of joy. Listen to the last verse. Elizabeth said, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, Elizabeth's highlighting the way that Mary responded to the angel's announcement that she would be a virgin with child. Listen to the way that Mary responded. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Now, as we've already noted, this was a very different response than Zechariah. Zechariah heard the announcement of the angel and said, prove it, <laughs> right? And the angel said, okay, you're not going to be able to speak for nine months. Now, there are certainly questions that Mary had. She asked some of those, but none of those questions stood in the way of her trusting the word that she had been given. She believed that it would be 
fulfilled, which means that she not only heard the promise, but she accepted it eternally. And with a firm conviction, she stood on it, believing that God was able to carry out what he had said he would do. And here's the fourth movement that internally helps shape us into people of joy, that we move from skepticism to trust skepticism to trust. Now, if you want to explode with joy, you've got to let faith rise. That's what Peter wrote to the churches. Here's what he said. Though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, and and by the way, just like John, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Did you see it? That Peter connects with us, our belief, even though we don't see Jesus, we believe in him and it evokes in us an inexpressible joy that's filled with glory, that's filled with weight, that's filled with majesty, that's filled with beauty. See, friends, it's possible to be people of joy It's possible this Advent. It's possible right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless of your circumstances, it is possible. And maybe this Christmas, you just affirm your trust in the one who has come for you and the one who has died for you and the one who's given himself for you. Maybe this Christmas is one of affirming your trust and allowing joy to rise. From 1992 to 1995, the world witnessed one of its most brutal civil wars. It was the Bosnian War. And in the end, 100,000 people had died, 2.2 million people were displaced. But in the midst of all of the chaos and the carnage, a picture of beauty emerged. See, as mortar shells were being rained down on Sarajevo, A musician from Bosnia and Herzegovina, Verdun Smolovic, did the only thing he knew how to do. He grabbed his cello, he dressed up in formal attire, and he went and he sat in a mostly dilapidated building and began to play. And as people heard the music, heard this picture of beauty, the sound of joy emerging from the rubble. They gathered around to be part of the experience. They were grieving and starving, but they were longing for something bigger to still be a part of. And when the later on, when Smelovic was asked why people gathered, he said they were hungry, but they still had a soul. See, the music echoed of another world, one brimming with joy and beauty and hope, and it drew people in. See, I think the message of Jesus, the message of Christmas, the message of the gospel is designed to do the exact same thing. And maybe 2020 is one of the best canvases to paint on for the joy of the gospel. See, in the midst of chaos this year, friends, may we 
tune our hearts to hear the music of joy that's resounding all throughout the universe. Joy to the world. A weary world can rejoice because the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Friends, this is the deep and abiding joy that is found in the life of Jesus and in the presence of his kingdom. May we enter it with awareness, connection, celebration, and trust. That's the invitation in front of every single one of us today. His joy is available to you. So if you're weary, may you sense his presence and may it cause you to leap for joy. Let's pray. So Lord, that's our prayer, is that we would sense your presence and your goodness right now for my friends watching this video or listening to it, wherever they are, if they're out on a run or on their couch or in a coffee shop, Lord, would you impress upon them the reality of your presence with them wherever they are, however they are. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And just like John, may we sense your presence by the power of your spirit. And may it cause us to leap for joy. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.